Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let me ask you a question. I began by asking last week a pretty sobering question. What would you do if you found out today you only had 30 days to live? That's 30 days, 720 hours. That's 43,829 minutes. What would you do? Who would you spend that precious time with? What would you say to those you love? Who would you forgive? Who would you give to? What would you do with the last 720 hours you had on earth. Why, why is this so important? Many years ago, I, I, probably about 35, almost 40 years ago, I went to the bedside of a very famous businessman. He's, he's now gone, but his business is still there. And he was known by the last name of his business. And, and I, I went and he was actually, he, he knew this was his last few days. I went because of a friend. He, he knew that I was a minister. I wasn't his particular pastor, but, but, but I was going in with him. And And this guy sat up and he said something that shocked me. He looked at the friend that knew him well, that that brought me, and he said, you know what I'd do if I had just another month to live? His friend said, what? He said, let me tell you something. I'd get everybody that has got me all my life, and I'd just give it to them. And I thought, wow. (laughs) What? What a tragic way to think of the last days of your life. Why is this so significant? Because God tells us in Psalms 90 verse 12, the psalmist teaches us this. He says, teach us to number what? Our days that we may gain what? We may gain a heart of wisdom. Psalms 90 verse 12, the good news translation says, teach us how short what? life is so that we may become wise. Wisdom comes to tell us that we are on a temporary assignment on earth with an eternal responsibility. We have a temporary assignment. It's this long, but it has an eternal responsibility attached to it. Maybe when you were young, like me, how many were ever young? And I'm just, I'm not saying this is you, but did anybody possibly do something you shouldn't have done when you were young? Don't point at people. Just raise your hand for you. Okay. And maybe you didn't probably at all. I'm sure when I was in Houston, in the body of Houston, they weren't, y'all probably weren't partying right here. But in Houston, we were doing that. And, and every time I got tempted as a young person, I would hear this voice behind me and it would say this, hey, go ahead. You got plenty of time. You, got, you, you can get your act together later. You can get your life together later. Come on. This is your season. This is your time. You, you can get right later. Anybody hear that? Were they, was that voice in Lafayette back then? Only to find yourself getting to midlife to hear another voice saying, you've been this way too long. You, you can't change now. Come on. This isn't what you do. This is who you are. This is who you are. When you listen to that voice, it gets you coming and going. But as I told you last week, there's actually only one person that actually knew he had 30 days to live, to live it well. And who was that? 
It was Jesus. And we saw last week that in the last 30 days of Jesus' life, he did five things. He did five things to add meaning and value to his life, to do it well. And as you've heard me say many times, what Jesus modeled in this book, Jesus meant for you and me. What Jesus modeled, Jesus meant for you and me. So what did he do? He lived passionately. He lived passionately. Secondly, he gave generously. Third, he loved completely. The fourth thing he did is he learned humbly. And then finally, he left boldly. I've actually been with people that had just a few days to live. And they knew it. Hospice was there. They were being given all kinds of different strong medication to keep them from having pain. And do you know how most of those people were? They either lonely, they were angry, some were depressed. Some were depressed. I, I, I've been with a number of them and they were like, why me? Why did this happen to me at 45? Why did this happen to me at 50? Why Why me? Jesus was none of those things. Even though he knew he was going to face the rejection of all of his friends. Even though he knew he was going to watch his mother's heart being broken. Even though he knew he was going to suffer the cruelest death known to mankind on the cross. Why was he none of these? Because he knew he was an eternal spiritual being having a temporary physical experience on earth. Let me say that again. He knew he was an eternal spiritual being having a temporary physical experience on earth. You know why else he could? Because he knew that heaven, not earth, was his home. He knew that not was his. But guess what? That's the same thing that's true about you and me. We are eternal spiritual beings having a temporary physical experience on earth. We are people who know we are here only for a short time, that we're really not home yet. Our real home is in, our real home is in heaven. So I want to ask you today, are you ready to live life the way that Jesus did in the last days of his life? Because that is true about you and me. Last week we talked about Jesus living passionately. Today, I want to talk about the second thing he did. He gave generously. Say that with me. He gave generously. Now, when most of us think about giving, most of us think money, possessions, things, houses, valuables. But if you actually read John 13 to 17, Jesus gave his disciples something far more important than those. That's part of it. But he gave them far, far more important things than that. If you read John 13 to John 17, Jesus says over and over again, I love you. I love you with the Father's love. The Father loves you. I love you. Over and over, you hundreds and hundreds of times, he's affirming them in what is going to be his final hours. And then he does something that's really interesting. The Jews had 633 laws. How many did I just say? Say it loud one more time. How many of you got trouble with 10? Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hand, I know one you're having trouble with. Thou shalt not lie. How many of you had trouble with 10? Come on. Of course. Why would Jesus give them another law? Like 634. You say, Pastor, what kind of laws were they? 
how you had to dress when you went to church. If you touched a dead person, you had to go to these ceremonial cleanings. What food you could eat, when you could eat it, how you could eat, when you worshiped, how you worshiped, when you prayed, how you prayed, how you interacted. What happened if you touched this type of an animal? The kind of animals you could eat, the kind you couldn't eat. All of these laws. And Jesus is about to give them another one. Listen to what he says in John 13, 34 and 35. So I give you now a a new commandment. What's this new commandment? Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate this same, what? That I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. We say, Pastor, didn't they know they were supposed to love each other? Well, of course, Leviticus, one of those laws in Leviticus 19, 18 says this, love your as, look at me. How many of you know some people that aren't very good to themselves? You know what that means? Their neighbors are in trouble. You see, the Old Testament law is an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. Be good to your friends and hate your enemies. If you're good to me, I'm good to you. But Jesus gave them a new commandment. And you know what that commandment was? Don't treat others like they treat you. But you love and generously give to others the same way I love and have generously given to you. They had never seen that type of love before. John 15, 19 says this. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually, what? Let my love nourish your heart. As I said, when you read John chapter 13 to 17, you see him say how much that he loved them, how much he loved the Father, how much he and the Father loved them. And we all know Jesus told nothing but the truth. He was truth. But there's nothing more true than this. Jesus loves me. This for the tells me for the Bible tells me so. There's nothing more true than that. I, I have a friend who's one of the most successful people I know, one of the most educated people I know. He's in ministry and built a large church. Many, many people's lives, thousands and thousands of people's lives touched. Many people looked at for wisdom and guidance. Many people of influence and affluence. A few years ago, he went through a time where he went through a depression, what someone calls a burnout or a brownout. He was emotionally broken down. He was crying and he didn't know why. He was, he was falling apart internally. And so he heard about a great Christian psychologist in a small city in Texas and that Fortune 500 executives would fly their jets and land there to go and counsel with this man. And so he asked a friend if he would go with him and and he went over to see this man. He had on a pair of shades because he didn't want anybody to know he was in there feeling like he was getting psychoanalyzed. And he was sitting in the lobby and his friend was right beside him. He's in these shades and he's got his legs crossed. And the counselor comes in and just to startle him, he kicks his leg. He says, come on in. And he comes in and he takes off his shades and he says, well, why are you here? He said, well, I'm, I'm glad you asked me, but uh, I just want you to know I, I'm a good Christian and, 
and I'm, I'm a good pastor, and I'm a good husband, and I'm a good father, and I really love God, and I read the Bible all the time, and I don't look at pornography, and I've lived sexually pure, and I've been faithful to my wife, and I've given to God, and I've helped the poor, and I've, and he goes on, and finally, the counselor kind of waved his hand and said, stop. And he stopped, and he said, yes, sir. He said, I'm not impressed by how much you tell me you love God. But I would be impressed if you could tell me that you knew how much God loved you. Do you know why? One, you're the source of. You're limited. You're finite. The other one, he's the source of. And his love is infinite and limitless. So this love, this love. But I've got a question for you. Why is it so difficult for some people to express their love to someone? Why would some people rather write you a check or, or, or buy you a nice meal or, or give you a gift or open up an opportunity to you than look at you and go, I want you to know that I love you and I'm so proud of you and I'm so thankful for you and I'm grateful that you're a son, a daughter, a friend, a mama, a dad, whatever it is to be able. Why are some people willing to do anything but that to express their love? You may know someone like that. You may be someone like that. I don't know if you ever heard about Boudreaux from Bro Bridge. Boudreaux's from Bro Bridge. There's been a lot of argument and a lot of jokes about Boudreaux saying that he lived in Dusan, in Church Point. It's not true. Boudreaux's from Bro Bridge, and, and Boudreaux and Marie were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. They'd been through 50 crawfish festivals together. Come on, that's love. There's love and there's crawfish love. That's a different level of love. And, and they had all of their children and their grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. Everybody celebrated them and they gave them gifts and they cut a cake and they did a wedding dance and the priest was there and he blessed them and it was wonderful. And they were going to bed that night and Marie looked over at Boudreaux and she said, Boudreaux, she said, I want to ask you something. He said, well, what, Marie? He said, well, you, you know, you've been a good husband and you've been a good father and you've been a good grandfather and great-grandfather and you've been a good neighbor and you, you've been a good Catholic. You've just been a good man all your life. And I just got one question for you. He said, what's that? He said, we've been married for 50 years and on the day we got married, you told me you loved me and you've never told me since. He said, man, if it changes, I'll let you know. Maybe you're with somebody like that. Maybe you're with somebody like that. Why is it that some people can't express love? Why is it? Can I tell you why? Because of word wounds in their life. Word wounds. You say, Pastor, what is a word wound? 
It's words that have been spoken to you, spoken about you, or spoken over you that stunted your emotional well-being and spiritual growth. And while you grew up in every other area of your life, in that part of you, you're still a child looking for affirmation and affection, looking to be loved and affirmed because you never got it growing up. Maybe you like me. Your parents' words stopped mattering a long time ago. My my father's words stopped mattering to me when I was 19 years old. Between his five marriages and between all of the mess of his life that he blamed me for. The first time he ever came to hear me preach, I started preaching when I was 15, so he came to hear me preach. And afterwards he walked up to me and said, you know, you are to be a comedian, you're pretty funny. And that was his compliment. But thank God, God sent someone into my life that spoke life over me. Because word wounds are either words that were spoken over you that never should have been spoken over you or words that weren't spoken to you that would have brought something out of you. Here is what Proverbs, the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon says, Proverbs 18, 21. Words kill. kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. Another translation says the power of life and death are in the tongue. They're in the tongue. Why do people not express love? When you grow up, and as I grew up, I discovered something about my father and maybe about others that you can't give what you don't have. That the person who was the villain to me and I was the victim, that one time he was the victim and somebody else was the villain. John Maxwell says it like this, hurt people, wounded people, healed people, heal people. You get to choose. You see, even Jesus needed to be affirmed. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I mean, he was Jesus. He was God. Because the Bible tells us that. That when Jesus went to be baptized by John, preparing for his ministry when he was 30 years old, he goes and he's baptized. And when he comes up out of the water, a voice from heaven speaks. And his father, his daddy, says, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He claimed him, he named him, and he blessed him. Everybody needs to be claimed and named and blessed. And if not, you will seek alternative, broken, distorted, perverse ways of trying to find an identity that you never got from the mom and daddy that were too broken to give it to you themselves because no one ever gave it to them. I know, I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to people even now. That's you. You keep looking at your daddy or your mama going, when are you going to tell me you're proud of me? When are you going to tell me you love me? When are you tell me I'm really done good? You're proud of the man I've become, the, the, the husband, the father, the wife, the daughter. Look at me. You can't give what you never had. Jesus 
was so secure in the Father's love that he gave it generously. Do you know that's what happens, right? That that, that when you've been hurt, like you think, if, if I really tell you how much I love you, like, like, like I'm going to give you this, and like when I give it to you, like you got it, you could hurt me with it. Do you know why? Because you think you're the source. You know who the source of love is? And when you give it, he gives it to you to give it through you. And the more you give, the more you receive. And the more you give, the more you receive. So when you love others and express love to others, it doesn't make you less. It actually makes you more and a greater conduit of the love of God. He gave love freely. As a matter of fact, that's what offended. That's what offended the religious people. Like Jesus was having church like this, and they were listening to this new cool teacher who was doing miracles, and the back door of the church flew open, and they brought in a girl from Four Corners. How do you know where Four Corners is? Just a question. The doors flew open, and half clothed, she's drug up. She was actually caught in the act of adultery in order to accuse someone of the Jewish law. You had to have two eyewitnesses. So two eyewitnesses caught her and saw her in the very act. And they drag her to Jesus. She goes from four corners in a hooker hotel to being drugged to the most holy place in town and thrown before God himself. All the religious leaders, they were sure what was going to happen. The law said to stone a woman like that and kill her. You know how they would stone them? They would dig a hole about this deep. They'd stand you in there, and then they'd put a bag over your head, and the people that saw you would come, and they would pick up stones and walk by and hit you in the head with the bag over your head until you died. That's what they were expecting. Instead, Jesus did something that is still so amazing. He's so amazing. No one knew what kind of victim she was. No one knew who molested her when she was growing up. No one knew that she didn't grow up without a daddy. No one knew that she'd been sold herself, but she had no choice. Jesus knew it all. And so Jesus said, let him who is, what? And then he did something that's not often spoken about. Do you know this, this book is filled with all of the words of Jesus. Okay. The words of Jesus But do you know that Jesus only wrote one thing and we don't even know what it is? Because he knelt down the ground and what did he start doing? He started writing in the ground and the same finger of God that wrote the Ten Commandments and gave them to Moses is the same finger that is now writing in the dirt and we don't even know what he wrote. Can I tell you what I think he wrote? One lady wants to know because you know it's going to be funny. Thank you. And it is. Because remember, Jesus could read everybody's mind. He reached down and went, he's been with her, Boudreaux. Thibodeau, he was with her. T-Boy, he was with her. And while he was writing down the names of the people that had been with her or wanted to be with her and had already lusted in their heart, Something amazing happened. Something that only God could do happened. All the people that thought they were so religious and righteous, they left away convicted and guilty. And the one woman that came 
became convicted and guilty, brought that way, she left innocent and forgiven and righteous because of Jesus himself. They hated it when Jesus did that. It wrecked all of their religious ideology. Aren't you glad for the law of grace and love that wrecks everything that we deserve to give us what he alone died for for us to have? Here's the second thing. He, he spoke love openly. Look at me. I'm going to say this to every man that's here. You need to speak love to your children. You need to speak love to your wife. A real man could look at someone and say, I love you. I, I, I love being with big old strong, swole up, hairy chested, sweaty, testosterone filled, red looking, just walking around. Just I love walking up to men like that that I know and hugging them going, I love you. And watch them go, I love you too, Pastor. <laughs> why is that? Why, 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 why is it stumble out? Why does it mumble out? Because of word wounds. Because they never got that before. I remember a guy in our church many years ago came out of a horrible background. I would call him, and those of you who know me, first words when I talk to you, first three words of my mouth are, man. Man of God. Okay, what's your name is? Man of God. I know what some of you think, but I'm really not a man of God. Oh, yes, you are. You just don't know who you are. So I got to keep reminding you and naming you and claiming you and blessing you. That's why I call you man of God. I know you were out of LaFonda's drunk last night. That's not who you were or are. I'm trying to tell you who you are. And I would, he, he didn't answer his phone. He'd just given his life to Jesus. And I said, man of God, where are you? I just was calling you to check on you, man of God, to see how you're doing. Hope you're doing great, full of faith. Love you. And he told me this. He said, I kept that on my phone when I was drunk, running from God. And I would play it over and over. Man of God, man of God, what are you doing, man of God? What are you doing? Because it reminded me of what I was supposed to be. Look at me, man. You'll never regret spending those words on the people you love. Never. Here's the third thing he did. He reflected love completely. Jesus reflected and so generously gave the love of God completely. Like, like from people's eyes, he didn't always do everything right. His best friend died. Say that with me, best friend. What kind of a friend are you if you don't show up to your best friend's funeral? Jesus didn't show up at his best friend's funeral. First, he was called for a hospital visit. He was sick. His name was Lazarus. And when he got the news, he waited four more days. And then by the time he got on the day's journey walking there, it took him so long that by the time he was there, he'd already been buried for days. He not only missed him being sick, the last words, he missed the wake and the funeral. And by the way, look at me. There's only one person that says specifically that Jesus loved, and that was Lazarus. They called Jesus and said, Jesus, the one who you love is sick. Your boy, your best friend, the place you stay all the time. Mary and Martha, their, their brother Lazarus. So watch this. 
So Jesus gets there. They're wailing. During biblical times, if somebody died, you lamented or wailed and cried for 30 days. That's another message for another time about learning grief. But Jesus gets there, and we all know what he's going to do. What is Jesus going to do with Lazarus? Okay, that was kind of weak. That was your cousin. I think you'd be a little more excited about that. What was he about to do with Lazarus? He was about to raise him from the dead. But when he gets there and Mary and Martha are there and they're crying, do you know what Jesus does? It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Come on. Anytime somebody goes, do you know any verses in the Bible or memorized? You pull out this favorite verse. Jesus wept. wept. See, I know the Bible. Jesus wept. Listen, what was Jesus about to do? If I'm Jesus... I walk up in, back up, get the choir ready, stop singing another one bites the dust. Here we go. Ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Ha! Get them ready. Jesus is here. Okay, that's what I'm doing, all right? Because Jesus is about to do what? But you know what he does? He weeps. Have you ever been with people that didn't know what to say to somebody in a moment of grief so they were too stupid and they went ahead and said it? Look at me. Jesus knew that sometimes you don't need to say anything. You just need to show up and cry with the people you love. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus wept. Look at me. Don't ever let anybody tell you real men don't cry. You know who doesn't cry? Real broken little boys in men's bodies. Real men cry. When Michelle and I walked through the loss of our son, September 11th coming up will be eight years ago. This church was packed with thousands of people that came in. And I am telling you, people cried with us for days. Jesus cried. He wept. Even though he knew what he was about to do, he wept. You know what that means? He wants to share with you. Like like the things that have hurt you have hurt him. The things that have broken you have broken his heart. As well, Jesus reflected love completely. But here's the one that really gets me. One of the last things Jesus did in the last hours before he died, before the last supper, was he washed the disciples' feet. How many remember that story? Okay. Guess who was one of the disciples whose feet he washed? Say it loud. Judas, who was going to betray him and have him crucified. Like, let's be honest. How many of you have had some friends? Raise your hand. How many of you had some best friends? Raise your hand. How many of you had some best friends that did you wrong and they're no longer your best friends? Raise your hand. But we got more hands on that than anybody else. (laughs) How many have ever walked into a place like the grocery store and you see them on an aisle? What do you do? You go to the other side of the store. You know what you do. Don't lie. Don't be an aisle liar. You go to the other part of the store because you want to get away from them. 
Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Like, if I get to Judas and I'm Jesus, I'm like, I throw his feet down there. I pull the hair on his leg. I slap his leg while I'm washing it. Do you know that Jesus washed his feet as gently as he did Peter and all of the rest of the 11 of the 12 are going to die martyrs' deaths, be crucified upside down, beheaded, thrown off of tall buildings, beat to death, boiled in oil. And Jesus knows all of that. And he treats Judas the same way that he treats every one of them. So much so that John, the writer of the book of John, looks over and says, Jesus, you said one of us is going to betray you. Which one is it? And he said, the one with whom I dip and I give the bread to. And he dips in wine and he hands the bread to Judas. And John doesn't even realize it's Judas till after it's done. Jesus treated him the same. Look at me. The kind of love that he gives you not only lets you love people like you need to love them that you love, it helps you love your enemies like he loves. That's that new commandment. That's that new commandment. He also gave generously of all he had. True love and generosity always moves from what we say to what we give. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved that he, he gave. I can tell you what you love the most. I can. Let me see your credit cards statement. Let me see your checkbook. Okay. And let me know where you hid your little cash that you got hidden up under somewhere where your wife can't get it. Okay. If I can find out where you spend that, I can find out what you love. Because Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart will be too. So what does Jesus say about giving? What does he say about giving? First, let me ask you a question. How many of you, if Bill Gates called you and said, I'm going into a new business and I'd like you to join me, how many of you would be open to doing that? Raise your hand. Bill Gates invented the iPhone. Okay. Well, he stole the iPhone. Bill Jobs gave Microsoft. Okay. How, how many of you know he's the wealthiest man, one of the wealthiest men in the world? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you, if he said, I have a business endeavor and I just want you to join me and you're going to be very wealthy, how many would like to do that? Raise your hand. Okay. How many say, no, I just want to live in a double wide and do so all my life. That's just all I care about. Okay. Look, look at me. How many of you would like God to be your business partner? God. Spiritual protection, financial protection, physical protection. You're protected. Your kids are protected. Your house is protected. Your car is protected. This is better than Allstate. This is the real good hands, people. Here's how you can do that. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the... What? Ties into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my house. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's army, I will... What? The windows of heaven on you and pour out on you so great of a blessing there will not be room enough to take it in. And then he says two things. I want you to read this with me. Try it and your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine and they will be ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. 
says the Lord of heaven's armies. First of all, let me just clear up a couple of things. The word tithe means tenth. Tenth. The first 10% of your income, it's not just what you give, it's when you give it. Let me ask you, if you owe somebody you really love money and you get $100 and you owe them 10, who gets paid first? The one who's the most important person to you. The first 10% goes to God. Let me just stop a moment because I hear a lot of you see this. I speak about giving about two or three times a year. Pastor, is the church in a bind? Look at me. No, you are so incredibly generous. We are financially doing amazing. Thank you. But you're not fine if you're not in partnership with God. Where does that 10% go? The storehouse, that's the place where you get spiritually fed. That's the place you get spiritually fed. It's a tenth. Here's the second thing. God says, I will open up the windows of what? Do you know the Bible only says one time that ever happened? When God opens up the windows of heaven and it flooded the earth in Noah's day. But then God says this, test me and try me. It is the only time in the Bible where God says, put me to the test. So I want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you and your wife to think about it or pray about it. If it's by yourself, you pray about it. And I want you to say, I want to put God to the test. I'm going to tithe and I'm going to see what happens. God said, try me, test me. Now look at me. If Jesus came and sat right down beside me and Michelle and said, what could I do for you? Do you think I'd ask for money? I know what I'd say. Jacob Jr., Jesus, just raise him from the dead. Just just make him spiritually alive. That's all I want. I'll live in a double wide and do song next to you and be happy. Just, just, some of you would say, my son who's on drugs, my husband who needs to change, my daughter, my child, my mama, my daddy, some lover. Very few of us would say possessions. God will open up the windows of heaven that he says, here's the second type of giving. It's called alms. Say that with me, alms. That, that's, that's giving to the poor. Proverbs 19, 17 says, every time you give to the poor, you loan to God. Don't worry, he will repay you in full. Now let me tell you what I don't mean. I don't mean people that beg. The Bible never commands us to help the lazy. It commands us to help the poor. How many of you have ever gone down the street and you see these signs, I'm hungry? Huh? Be honest. How many have ever given him something? I have. Okay. How many of you, when you didn't give him something, you felt guilty? Come on. I have. Do you know who the poor are? The poor are the people that are doing everything they can do and still they can't make it. Those are the people God wants you to help. But he never commands you to help the people that aren't doing what they can do themselves. You may clap. So if you want to do something, if they're hungry, buy them a Happy Meal. Get them a hamburger. I know people that carry sandwiches around with them that they make in the morning. If they see someone, they hand them sandwiches. Do you know what happens most of the time when you do that? They go, no, we're just taking money. 
No, you're taking time because you don't want to get up off of your butt and do what God made you to do, and you're deteriorating your own soul, and you're robbing from other people to go do something with the money that you're not going to do, do, be honorable before anyways. You say, Pastor, that's harsh. I was raised poor. I pushed the lawnmower since I was seven years old. To buy weed, I cut grass. Yes, I smoked a lot of weed. If you ever wonder why is Pastor Jacob saying that, I don't know. It may be an old buzz from the past. When, when, when I wanted, literally, when I wanted to buy weed, I would go to people's houses that would let me pick their pecans, and I would buy some baggies and put them in there, and then I'd go sell the pecans to other people. If a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old can do that, then you can't tell me somebody that's healthy standing on the street has lost so much dignity. Here's the second thing. I want you to remember this. Early on, I was probably 16 years old, 17 years old, and I was with my spiritual father, man who led me to Christ and became a daddy to me. Hadn't just got through preaching for him for three weeks. 51 years later, he was preaching for the man that reached me 51 years ago. And I'm, I'm at the door of the church, and a man knocks, opens up the door. I said, hello? He goes, yeah, my mother died in San Antonio, and, and I need a bus ticket. Could you all help me get a bus ticket? So the older pastor, who I call Papa Weathers, he came. I said, Papa, this man said his mother died in San Antonio and needs some money to get a bus ticket. Papa walked up. He goes, you need some money to get a bus ticket? He said, yes. He said, I got a lawnmower and an edger right there. You get through cutting the yard and edging it, and I'll take you and buy you a ticket. And the man looked and said, he don't want to help anybody. And he turned around and walked away. And my spiritual grandfather looked at me and he said this. He said, Jacob... If somebody will ask someone for money who they don't know, that means everyone that knows them knows something about them that refuses to allow them to help them. We ought to pass the buckets right now just because that saved you a ton of money right there. And guilt. Third is to missions. Michelle's heart is Africa, the go-go grandmother's. We support 30 villages of aged children whose parents have died of AIDS, and we provide for them. We built them a school. We drilled them wells because of your generosity. There's the sex traffic victims. We gave Tim Tebow $300,000 so that he could build a home for those that have been sex trafficked because of your generosity. We helped 300 families that had loved ones that were dealing with addiction and sent over almost 70 of them to Teen Challenge for a year where there is a 70% cure rate for the people that stay and see their lives transformed by Jesus Christ because of your generosity. All of these, there's the foster care, the foster initiative. We're renovating all the foster rooms where children meet. We're challenging and bringing in people, spending thousands of dollars to do that, to see foster care transformed. So there's missions, and then there's giving towards building the church. How many of you love this building? Do you know people sacrificed for this? People sacrificed for this so that you could have a place to worship and to visit. Why does our attitude towards money matter so much, Pastor? Listen to what Jesus said about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve, for either he will hate one and or else he'll be, and you can't serve. 
Do you know who Mammon was? Mammon was the god of prosperity that people would go and they would sacrifice animals and things too so that they become wealthy. Another translation says it like this. No one can serve two masters for either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one or despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon, which is money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued what? Look at me. I love my wife and I love lavishing her. I would be very jealous if some other man in our church, I don't even care if you're well-meaning, so don't try it. I just show up. She goes, baby, did you see this new watch T-Boy brought me? Oh, honey, honey, T-Boy brought me this diamond bracelet. I'm like, I'm, I'm fixing to tee off on T. <laughs> because he would become an alternate source. Look at me. God is jealous over one thing. Him being God of your heart and your affections. I was talking to someone who was going through a financial challenge. They had money. They needed to move. The right situation wasn't coming. And I've been praying with them. And finally, I looked at them and I went, there's something that's just stifling me. And they said, what? I said, like everything should be working, but it's not working. Like, tell me about your relationship with money. And they said, well, you know, I was raised very poor. And so money is my security. I said, say that again. He said, I was very, very, very poor. So money is my. And I said, that's it. God is jealous over being your security. He doesn't want to be number one. He wants to be the only one. I don't want to be number one to her. Love. I want to be the only one. Jesus and then Jacob. Let's just keep it in the J's. Look at me. The way God keeps our heart from being attached to things that are temporary is by us honoring him with the first of it so we continue to remind ourselves it came from God. And one day, we're going to leave it all behind. Can I tell you a cool story now that I close? Michelle and I were at a, a, a dinner this week that was pretty amazing. The man that was there said, I, I want to tell you a story. He said, okay. He said, many years ago, there was a, a poor lady in Oklahoma, and her name was, was Mary, and she loved God. She was a great Christian girl. Went to a little bitty church, and all she ever wanted to do was serve Jesus. And so she married a man, and, and they became pastors. And they built a little church of about 50 people. It was never more than 50 Sometimes they would put empty Tupperware in their refrigerator so that people would not look in there and realize that they didn't have anything to eat. Farmers would come and, and they would give them vegetables from their gardens to take care of their family of six. And all throughout the course of their life, she had a mantra for all of her children, regardless of what success they had, she would say this, there's just one life, it soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. There's just one life, 
This soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Wouldn't you know, five of her six children became pastors or married pastors, except one. One. Mary's oldest boy didn't become a pastor. He, he started working at the local TGNY. How many of you old enough to remember TGNY? Come on, old people, let's unite together. TGNY, a little toy store. Sure enough, he, he goes to his mom. He said, Mama, I got a job at TGNY. And he said, she said, David, there's just one life that soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. What are you doing for Jesus? A couple years later, he came back and said, Mama, they made me the manager of TGNY. I am the youngest manager TGNY has ever had. And she said, David, that's good. There's just one life that soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Finally, she realized that he wasn't going to be a pastor. And so he said, Mama, he said, I, I can't be a pastor, so what I want to do is I want to support the gospel, reaching people. The person telling us the story was his son. His name is Steve Green. And then he said, this year, my daddy will open up our thousandth store it's named Hobby Lobby. In 1995, we began giving 10% of all of our profits to the gospel. This year, we're giving 50% of all of our profits to the gospel. It was a dinner with three couples and four couples, including Michelle and I, and so I I got close to him at the end. I knew this was going to be my only chance to ask. I didn't want to ask in front of everybody, but there was a couple of us there, and I said, Mr. Green, how much did y'all give to homeless shelters, missions, Christian colleges, ministry centers, to build college dormitories at Christian colleges, $10 million to our Dream Center in downtown New Orleans at Church of the How much did y'all give this year? He kind of looked around like this, and he goes, well, it was an exceptional year, Pastor. I said, okay, what, what did you give? He said, $800 million. <laughs> I was talking to one of our young doctors out there in the lobby between services, and his wife said, yeah, and this weekend they're having a 75% off sale. <laughs> Now, honey, now you know why I got to go shop over there. <laughs> Think of that grandmother in heaven, that mama in heaven. Never had a church bigger than 50. But the faith that was in her, passed to her son, has reached millions of people for Christ. One of the things they did was support a New Testament going into countries to give a hundred million children New Testaments who didn't have one. Look at me. There's just one life. It's soon. But only what's done for Christ will have. Final statement.
Who, who do you need to talk to today? This week, who, who do you need to call and say, hey, I want to sit down and talk with you. I've never told you how much you mean to me. I've never told you how valuable you are. I've never told you how I appreciate you. I, I want to be sure that if I never see you again, that you know how much you mean to me. Look at me. Men, for some of you, it's your children. I would to God somebody was preaching to my daddy today, and I got a phone call. For some of you, it's your mate. You take them for granted. For some of you, it's your mom and your daddy, and you're a young person. Or a dear friend. Then finally, decide to make God your business partner and to put him first. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, we ask you to come now, Holy Spirit and Jesus. Many of us have word wounds in our lives. The words we never heard, that we always wanted to hear. The things we wished our mom and dad would have said, our husband or our wife would have said, our child would have said. Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus to come right now by your Holy Spirit and do what you do when you come and you put your fingers so specifically on areas of our life that it's unmistakably you. It's you. That voice is yours. Nobody else's. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, there's some of us that need to forgive our parents because they can't give what they never got. They can't give what they never got. They were the victim and then became the villain. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to every person here what their next step is for them to do in obedience to you. And then with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm so grateful I heard this today. I believe in God and I believe in Jesus and, and this, this, this is what I need. I, I want to begin my spiritual journey. What Jesus said in John chapter 3, how that begins. He said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of heaven. He said, unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. So I'm going to ask you the most important question of your life. The answer to this question determines whether you know God and where you'll spend eternity. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. I've gone through religious rituals. That may be a great first step, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that in order to know him, to come to spiritual life, you must be born again. At that moment, the same spirit that raised him from the dead comes and raises you to new life to give you a new beginning to experience the love of God and to know him. Christianity is all about knowing God, but you can't know him till you become spiritually alive. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, to be here and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Would you pray for me today? Today, I want to be born again. If that's you, 
I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, just raise your hand real high, and I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Pastor, I've never asked Jesus into my life and surrendered completely to him to be born again. I want to know him. That's what I want today. I want to know this love you talked about. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is an accident. Nothing is an accident. The things that have happened to you in the last 10 days, none of them are an accident. It's God speaking to you. And now's your time to come to know the one that loves you the most, that gave us all to have your all. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. I'm going to pray for you. Come on, raise it high. Raise it high. High, high. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one. All right. Put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these thirty-one, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know God is talking to me. It's your voice, but I know God's talking to me. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. Raise it and wave it at me right now and join these. 31. Wave it at me. Wave it at me. 32. Anywhere else? 32. 33. 34. Okay. At church, let's pray out loud with all those that raise their hand today to begin their spiritual journey to know God. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father that loves me. Today, Lord Jesus, I surrender and turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again In Jesus' name, amen.